We're going to be <coughs> continuing looking at the Holy Spirit, sort of picking up a little bit where we left off last week, I think. Um, we'll see where it all goes. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. All things, all those old things have passed away. Isn't that nice? <laughs> By faith. <laughs> What's it look like? You know, I was reading this morning, and is this microphone off? Good, it's been used as a coat rack. <laughs> Maybe it won't tip over even. I got a plan. That's my old life. I took it off by God's grace. But you know what we like to do? Because that old life, as crappy as it may have been, and as crappy as it may feel even yet, there's a certain comfort that I have with that old life. I have this unbelievable temptation to always go back. Put that old life back on. And you know what? Even as a believer, we can do that. A lot of us are walking around as new creatures in Christ, but that old self, that, that, that doggone Adam and Eve, that old nature wants to fight against that new creation. It wants me. Even though the enemy's lost me, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with God. The devil wants to keep me in bondage. He wants to keep you in bondage. He wants us to be terrible witnesses. He doesn't want our unbelieving acquaintances or friends or co-workers to look at us and go, wow, I wonder what they've got. I need what they've got. The enemy wants our co-workers to look at us and go, well, they sure talk a good game, but I'm not, they're not a whole lot different than me. They're carrying, carrying themselves like I carry myself. They're bound with the same fears I carry. They, they've got a lot of bad habits. And that old self has been dealt with by Christ in the cross. I could never take that coat off on my own. I could never take that old self off on my own. But I can go put it back on. My salvation is secure. But that old self, those old ways, those old bondages, I can put them back on. That is why I'm going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit this morning. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a visitor, you might go, what's that? If you know a little bit about us and that, you might go, that's what makes that church so weird. I hope to just show you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is God's idea. And Jesus' health declares how important it is. And there's so much confusion about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that happens the moment that you're saved. The moment of your salvation, the moment you truly accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've given your sins to Him and what He did on the cross. At that instant, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And you are that new creature in Christ. That old man is dead. At that moment, 
But the Lord knew and the Lord knows how challenging it is for us to live out life as that new creation. Living it out and doing the best job that we can will not improve your status in salvation terms. You're saved. Living it out will not improve or increase the amount He loves you. He already loves you more than we can imagine. It's there. You can't do anything to make Him love you less. And living out that new life won't make Him love you more. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, will it bless you and me when we do that. And he knew how hard it was going to be, so he gives us something we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know why we call it that? That's what God called it in the Bible. That's what Jesus called it in the Bible. It's not something we made up to be a weird church. It's in the Word of God. And Jesus, when, before he was going to ascend to heaven, before he was going back to the Father, There's only 10 days left on earth for him, and he tells them, he commands the disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait. I mean, goodness sakes, he's ready to launch the church. He's ready to launch all of his disciples and all who will believe on him into the world to change the world. He's died for our sins. He's taken on the fullness of God's wrath that we don't have to deal with. And yet he says, go to Jerusalem and wait until the power, the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why wait? Because he knew they would need it. And he knew, especially if he would have been looking Peter in the eye, that we probably needed a little help to live out the life of that new creature in Christ. So we're going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And before I go there, I want to just mention the water baptism. Now hopefully most of us, I hope you're just bored with this first part because you know it so well. But we believe in water baptism. We believe in it. We believe in, we call it believer's baptism because everywhere I see it in the Bible where it talks about being baptized, they believed first. So therefore we do not baptize infants, we dedicate them to the Lord. But as a new believer, we should get baptized. The Bible's pretty clear on that. Believe and be baptized. But what it is, is an outward demonstration of a change that's taken place inside of us. We have been born again by the Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit indwells us and lives within us. We are that new creature. So when we get water baptized, it's an outward demonstration. We're identifying with the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's one of the reasons we use baptism by immersion, to identify with the death going into the water, the burial going under the water, and the resurrection coming up out of the water, demonstrating what God has already done inside of us. It doesn't save us. It just demonstrates to the world and to the Lord what's been done already inside of us. And the Holy Spirit then indwells us. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit takes place at the moment of salvation. And I know I've said that before, and I'm going to say it probably more times today. But we need to understand that I believe the Bible teaches us clearly that there is a distinction between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And there is a lot of teaching out there in evangelical circles that you get everything at one time the moment you're saved. And I'm not going to argue with them. I'm just going to show you what the Word of God seems to show me and us and this church. And we do believe it's an important part of who we are as a church. And we believe it's an important part of what Jesus has for us. You know, he said, it's better that I leave and go to the Father because if I don't go back to the Father, if I don't leave planet Earth and go to the Father, he will not send the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what baptizes us into Christ, if you want to put it that way. The moment we are indwelt, we are now what the Bible says is in Christ. We are part of his family. We are in Christ. And the, the Holy Spirit is the one that does that for us. Now, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus that is the baptizer, and the Holy Spirit is the element of baptism. So we're going to look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe it is the second experience after salvation. What is the, one of the primary requirements, or it is the primary requirement of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? You must be born again. You must be born again. You must have the Holy Spirit already indwelling in you. And as I said, it's who we are as a distinction, I should say. It's not who we are as a church. It's a, very, it's a distinction of this church that we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as it's described in the Bible. We believe in it that it brings so many benefits, but it brings power. Power to be witnesses. And we'll look at what that all means as I continue to go through some scriptures. John the Baptist had some of his disciples, and they had seen Jesus, and they saw him ministering, and and it's almost like you get this picture of they're, they're sitting together, maybe around a campfire, I don't know, but they're sitting, maybe they just finished breakfast, and, and here comes Jesus walking. And these are the words of John the Baptist recorded in John 1. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I. For he existed before me, and I, don't, I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. He's de- declaring to his disciples about his ministry. And then he says, and then John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained on him. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, you remember the story, the Holy Spirit descends as a dove. And notice that last phrase, and it remained on him. I believe there was a transformation that took place in the God-man right there. The Holy Spirit came upon him to empower him for the ministry that was beginning from that day forward. And it remained on him. And then it goes on and says, and I did not recognize him, But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, I didn't recognize him, but God spoke to me, is what he's saying. And he said, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who 
baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. God spoke to John the Baptist. When you see the Holy Spirit descend and remain, that's the one who is going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Yes, he was the Messiah. Yes, he died on our cross. But God spoke these words to him. He will be the one. Jesus, who is going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. And this point is stressed. Not everything's always in all four of what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is. We see it. Jesus emphasized the importance in Acts 1, 4, and 5. And I'm going to make reference to these and read parts of these verses a couple of times today. But in verses 4 and 5 it says, And gathering them together. This is Jesus. This is actually taking place in the evening on the day of his resurrection. So resurrection, what we would call Resurrection Sunday, he is about to go and communicate and reveal himself to his disciples. And it says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus commanding him, as I said earlier. And then he goes on and gives the purpose for this. He says in Acts 1, verses 8 and 9, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. And in Luke 24, verse 49, it says, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power. Power. Power of God. We've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We are a new creature in Christ. That old man has died. We should get rid of it, discard it, and never go pick it up again. But it's so tempting. And we have a devil that wants us to go pick it up and put it back on again. And every time we take it off, he wants to come and torment us and put it back on. Put it back on. He comes with guilt and shame, condemnation, fears, worries, all of these things, wanting us to pick it up and put it back on. To forget about the truths that we've been set free. To forget about the reality that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Forget about the fact that He has given us a spirit of faith, not a spirit of fear. He wants to give us, He wants to come and steal that lie that somehow we won't believe the truth that says we can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. No matter what has kept us in bondage, there's victory in Jesus. He doesn't want us to believe that. He wants us to go back and put on the old man and go back to all of that fear and shame and condemnation. But Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to receive power. Power, first of all, in verse 8 there of Acts chapter 1, it says, to be my witnesses. And if most of us, the first thing we think about maybe is, well, I've got to go share the good news of the gospel. Absolutely, that's true. And he will give you the power. He will give you the words to speak. He promises all that to us. He's the only one that can change their heart. He's the only one that can make the words you speak effective. 
So there is that power, and he will cause us to be able to be better, much better witnesses. But in, in Romans 8, 13, and 14, it says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Holy Spirit, if you live by the Holy Spirit, if you live by the power of the Holy Spirit that's available to you, if you live that way, you will put to death the misdeeds of the body. You will live because you who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He gives us a power to overcome temptation. He gives us a power to come against and break through those strongholds that are keeping us so ensnared and so trapped. And there is a power that comes by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Does that mean it's going to be easy every day? No. But if you're relying on the Holy Spirit and you're standing on the truth, it will be a whole lot easier than you can imagine. But as soon as we start operating in the flesh, quit being led by the Holy Spirit. Our flesh acts up and the enemy jumps in and we have put on that old coat one more time. It gives us power to pray. Now, praying in tongues is not going to be an emphasis of my message this morning, but he gives us a power to pray in a way that we can't do in our natural flesh. In Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Our flesh is weak. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. There's a, there's a power, a gift in praying in a language that's not our own. It's called tongues or praying in tongues. The Bible refers to it as a heavenly language, the language of angels. It's made reference to a lot of different times in a lot of different ways. And when we do talk about it, the one thing I want to mention today is all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we're all to, to desire the gifts, right? But of all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are given to us, they are to edify and build up the body of Christ. Any gift you have of the Holy Spirit, any gift I have of the Holy Spirit, it's to build up the body of Christ. Whether it's prophecy or serving or giving, it doesn't, whatever it is, that's its purpose. But there's this prayer language thing, this praying in tongues thing that the Bible describes this way. It is to build up and edify me. He gives us this language, this prayer life that builds us up, edifies us. All the other gifts edify others. This one edifies us. It's a very personal thing that builds up our spirit as we pray. So I want to spend a little time because here's, here's some of the things you'll see if you start reading about and studying the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Depending on your upbringing, you will probably be over here and you'll say, golly, these guys seem to be a little bit over here. Um, I, I know in the church I grew up in, uh, it wouldn't line up with what I'm talking about here today. But it's important to listen to this clearly. As poor, important as I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, it is not essential to your salvation. The moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit indwells you and lives in you. You are saved. The baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't make you a first-class Christian and all the rest of them are second-class Christians. 
Charismatics and historically have kind of made it seem like we're the elite because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is nothing but a tool of the enemy to bring division and strife into his church. However, we believe it is a very important thing and it's a very important distinctive of who we are. It gives us a power to overcome, a power to be witnesses, a power to pray in ways that we may not have prayed before. And I want to go back just a minute in my notes for the fourth thing I mentioned. And there's so many things it gives you power for, but love. Love. In Romans 5, 5, it says, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out us poured out His love into our hearts by His Holy Spirit. By His Holy Spirit. You know, I know this new creature in Christ named Mike has a hard time loving the way he's supposed to love sometimes. I'd sometimes want to go over and put on that old self once more because somebody offended me. Or I don't like the way you look. I don't like what I heard you say. But a new creature in Christ has the power of the Holy Spirit depositing the love, empowering the love. It's already there by the indwelling, but it's like an empowering of that love to love others as Christ would want us to love. So some of the things you might read about. One, you would hear people say, you get all of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. You get all there is. Now, I hope I can say this clearly. When you get saved, you get all of the Holy Spirit. All right? He indwells you. Jesus didn't say, wait in Jerusalem until I give you the Holy Spirit, did he? He said, wait in Jerusalem until I baptize you in the Holy Spirit with power. So we believe that it's a second event with the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. It can happen simultaneously. You might get saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit all at once. We'll look at an example in the Scripture where that happened. It may happen when somebody prays with you. We'll see examples of that. It may happen when somebody prays with you and lays hands on you. We'll see examples of that. It can happen sovereignly. God just decides that you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And there's examples of that in Scripture. So when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will hear this argument and position, theological position, that there is no second event with the Holy Spirit like that. You get all there is the moment you get saved. Then you'll hear that there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it was for a specific time, like on the day of Pentecost. You know, I I love the Bible that I have. It has all these study helps in it, but the guy who writes a lot of it, he doesn't believe that the Holy Spirit, he doesn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't believe in a lot of things that I believe the Bible tells me. So, as a commentator, we have a couple disagreements. And you will, if you read and research, you will find commentators that are really good making pretty persuasive arguments on both sides. That's why it's important, and I encourage you to study it for yourself. I'm going to give you some things that I think make it really, really obvious that it's a secondary event. But guys more brilliant than me would disagree quickly, wholeheartedly. How many of you have ever heard of John Piper? 
John Piper is a very well-respected pastor, or was a pastor at Bethlehem Church, Baptist Church. He's a devout Calvinist, which may not mean anything to some of you. But he will acknowledge clearly that there is a second event with the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because he reads the Scripture, looks at the Scripture. That may surprise some of us if we know what most strong Baptists would say. So we're going to look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe the disciples had their first experience with the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost. I believe in John, and I'm not going to read all these scriptures just because of time, but I might want to jot some of them down. In John chapter 20, verse 19, this is where Jesus is with his disciples that first day of the week. And this, I may have misspoke earlier because this is what I was thinking about Jesus on that first day of the week after his resurrection. It says, when the doors were shut, we, we, the disciples were hiding, and Jesus came and stood in the midst of them, and he said, peace be with you. And then he goes on and he said, he showed him his hands and he showed him his side, and the disciples begin to rejoice. They begin to believe what they were seeing. And then Jesus said again to them, peace be with you. And as the Father sent me, I also send you. And then when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I believe that is the moment they became what I would call a New Testament Christian. They received the Holy Spirit. Other commentators will tell you they just received a down payment of the Holy Spirit. And they may tell you some other things. I personally believe, but I wouldn't build all my doctrine on the fact that that was their first and there is a second if that were the only example in the Scripture. For those theologians that believe that this was a one-time event, when they say that, here's what they're saying. That was such a special event on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came. It was for them alone. They spoke in tongues, and it was a one-time deal, and it's not for you and me, and it's not for today. That's what the commentator of my Bible says. But then you read the rest of the book of Acts, and you realize, I don't think it makes sense. In Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to give you four examples, Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. It's the day that they received, and I've read those verses, and we all know that it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit was giving, giving them utterance. The Holy Spirit came upon them. It came and filled them. It was empowering them. And then they spoke in tongues. At that moment, the church was birthed. Think about the power that came on the disciples that day. They were so emboldened, so empowered, that Peter stands up and starts preaching when they get accused of all being drunk because of this talking in tongues. And he starts preaching, and 3,000 people get saved. His second sermon, just a little bit later in Acts, he gives a second sermon. And you probably like this part of it. Their sermons take you about three minutes to read. Pretty good sermon. Three minutes. This time it says 5,000 men got saved. And the church was birthed and launched because of the power of the Holy Spirit in them. And the church began to receive more and more persecution because of this. And because of the persecution, disciples were scattered. And they went to different parts of the Middle East, sharing the good news of the gospel, spreading the gospel. Amongst the Jews first, and then shortly thereafter, 
It was opened up to the Gentiles because of persecution. They were empowered. They were emboldened to go forth. And where the gospel went, people were saved, and people were baptized in water, and the people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was the day of Pentecost. If you jump to Acts chapter 8, verse 4 through 24, but I'm going to just focus on verse 12 through 19 a little bit. This is two years later. Two years later. Pentecost happened. Persecution came. The church is dispersed. People are getting saved and baptized. Now two years have passed. And Philip was one of those that was scattered. And he goes down to the city of Samaria. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it says, But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. There it is. They heard the word, they believed, and they were baptized. And then it goes on in verse 13 and says, This Simon guy, who you can read all about, he wanted the power for his own personal use. It says, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And really the key I want to point out there is he believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by all the signs and wonders and miracles that he was seeing. Now when the apostles back in Jerusalem, the home base, the home base of the church, they heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if they were believers, and if they were baptized as believers, they already had the Holy Spirit. You cannot be born again and be a believer without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that changes you and transforms you into this new creature in Christ. So here it is two years after Pentecost, and he comes to them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability that everyone I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. They were there were miracles, healings, deliverances, demons were dealt with, people were receiving Christ and they were being baptized. And then he must have seen something when they laid hands on him. It doesn't say explicitly here. Notice that. It doesn't say here that they spoke in tongues. But they saw something. But irregardless of what they saw, they were laying hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Two years after Pentecost. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. This is Saul, the, what we call Apostle Paul. I don't want to spend too much time on it. We don't know for sure how long it was after he began persecuting the church. Some people think it was as little as a year. Others, maybe three years. The point is here, in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, a man named Ananias, after Paul had had his experience, he got knocked off his whatever he was riding, and he was made blind by God, and he asked God... What do you want to do? He called him Lord, and then he obeyed what he said and told him to do, and he went to this place, and God speaks to Ananias and says, Go lay hands on Paul, that he might receive the Holy Spirit and his sight back. 
And in verse 17 and 18 says, Ananias went to the house and entered into it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me here that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. All indications were that on the road to Damascus, he was changed from an unbeliever to a believer. In Acts, when he defends himself in front of the religious people, he talks about referring to Jesus as his Lord. And when he asked Jesus what he was supposed to do, he obeyed immediately. So it would indicate that he accepted Christ. And we also see a little bit later, well, in this case, by the laying out of hands. And then we see a little bit later in, in Corinthians where Paul says, I'm so glad I speak in tongues than more, more than all the rest of you. Somewhere along the line, he received a prayer language in tongues. Third one, at ten years after Pentecost. Ten years later, Cornelius, a centurion, he had a vision from God, and he was told to send his servants to go get Peter so Peter could share the plan of salvation to him. In Acts chapter 10, it talks about this man. He's a good man. He's a devout man. He prays to God and all of those things. In verse 44, it says when Peter comes, and there's a great story there, but when Peter gets there, he shares the good news. And it says this, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all of them that heard the message. He invited family members over, and in the Bible it says he invited some good friends over to hear what Peter had to say. The circumcised believers, in other words, the Jews that were traveling with Peter, who had came with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Why did they know that happened? Because they heard them speaking in tongues. And praising God. And then Peter says, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. There is not this formula. Here they get baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues before they've been baptized in water. Happens a lot of different ways. And the last one I want to mention is in Acts chapter 19. Day of Pentecost, and we went out two years later. Then we went out ten years later. In Acts chapter 19, it's 20 years after Pentecost. To me, it blows in the big hole in that theory that it was a one-time event on a special occasion for a unique purpose. Twenty years after Pentecost, Paul went to Ephesus and found some disciples. In Acts 19, starting in verse 1, it says, While Apollos was ministering at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. What is a disciple? It's a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. He found some disciples and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, to me, that is either the stupidest question in the world because you can't believe and not receive the Holy Spirit. Or, it's referring to a secondary event after believing and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Make sense? I hope. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And then they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told the people 
to believe in the one coming after him. So these people haven't even heard. Nobody taught them. And it says, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And trust me, Paul is not going to go and baptize a non-believer in the name of the Lord Jesus. They believed. The Holy Spirit indwelt them. He therefore baptized them in water. And then it says, when Paul placed his hand on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues. And they prophesied. Twenty years later, baptism of the Holy Spirit happened over and over. Day of Pentecost, Peter teaching the Gentiles and Cornelius' family in Samaria when Philip was teaching the disciples in Ephesus, Saul getting hands laid on him by Ananias. In every scenario we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus want to send the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That you might receive power to be my witnesses, power to be overcomers, power to walk out the calling I have for your life, power to pray in a way that is a perfect prayer through your heavenly prayer language, the power to love people with a love that only comes by the Holy Spirit. How do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this should have been your question. How do I get it? How do I get it? Well, we saw a whole bunch of different ways in the scriptures I just shared with you. I want to read from Luke chapter 11. And I would encourage you, if you look it up, start in verse 5. And it gives us this story about somebody who has a friend and they come in the middle of the night knocking on your door and want to borrow a loaf of bread or something. But where I want to go and drive us to is down at verse 9. And it says in Luke chapter 11, verse 9, I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. wonder what he's all talking about. Loaf of bread? He goes on and says, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. Will he not give him? He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, knowing being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, look at those last words. It ties it all together. It brings Jesus' teaching to a climax here. This is the point that he wanted to make. And he says, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How many of you asked for the Holy Spirit when you got saved? Go on. Two, it's kind of a set-up question, isn't it? Everybody else is going, what's he doing? When we get saved, what happens? The Holy Spirit just comes in, dwells in us. That's the only way we can get saved. He's already been working on us, preparing us to receive by grace, through faith, the gift of salvation. When we cry out to God, we repent of our sins, we ask Jesus to become our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit has moved in. And most of us didn't ask for anything except for our sins to be forgiven. Praise God. So what is he talking about? How much more shall Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? 
I believe he is talking clearly about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All we have to do is ask him. And he'll give it to us. Now, this isn't the topic of my message, but some of you might be going, I don't know about that tongues thing. I don't know about that tongues thing. I'm not going anywhere near the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I might lose control of my tongue. Well, first thing is you will never, ever lose control of your tongue. Okay? Second thing, as important as I believe of prayer language, praying in tongues is to edifying of self, you receive the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you ask. You may or may not speak in tongues because speaking in tongues requires us to respond in an act of faith. Asking for the gift from God, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. All he says is, ask me. I love you. I died for you. I ascended to the Father. And I asked him to send the Holy Spirit with power and baptize you before you do anything else. Now, most of us, if we've not asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we should. Some of you may have never asked for it that way, and you've already received it. Any of you ever, this is rhetorical, you don't have to do this. Anybody ever said, God, I want all of you that there is. I want, I want everything you've got for me. Holy Spirit, everything, I want it all. You may have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and didn't know it. That's awesome. But if you're here and you've never done anything like that, I want to encourage you. All you have to do is ask. You have those besetting sins that you keep struggling with. How come I struggle with those? I'm born again. I believe in Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Why do I keep struggling? Maybe you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that there would be a power to help you to release even more grace and more power into your life. You have a hard time believing who you, who you are according to the Word of God, and you find yourselves continually believing lies of the enemy. Maybe what you need to overcome that and to have the ability to take those thought captives is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you start to shiver and shake and sweat when you feel the Holy Spirit telling you to share the gospel with someone. Maybe what you need is the power of the Holy Spirit through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are so many things that I could go on and on. So if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you desire it, all you have to do is ask. We will pray with people and lay hands on them, but that's not necessary. If you want somebody to do that for you, we'd love to. But if you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all you've got to do is ask. Do you want a heavenly prayer language? Well, we'll talk about that some other day. So we'll continue on the Holy Spirit. We're going to be focusing, I believe, on fruit and gifts in the next week or two. So I want to invite you to stand with me and we'll close in prayer. And if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and you want somebody to pray with you and lay hands on you, come forward afterwards. But I'm going to pray right now for all of you that would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you've never asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to just ask you to raise your hand right where you're at. Just right where you're at. I'm not going to call you up front. This isn't a trap. This isn't a snare. You've never received it. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word says all we have to do is ask. If we ask because you are a loving Heavenly Father, you have promised that you will give us the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray right now 
for each one here that desires to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you would baptize them now in the Holy Spirit and with fire. I thank you, Lord, that you equip us, that you empower us, you extend grace to all your children. I pray, Lord, for those that wrestle with that besetting sin or wrestle with controlling their thoughts, wrestle with going back over and picking up that old dead man and putting it back on. Father, I pray, I pray that that power of the Holy Spirit through the baptism of the Holy Spirit will embolden them, release grace, that they can be the overcomers that you desire them to be. Father, your word says that Jesus came to give life and to give it abundantly. I pray that today would be a day for some who would, they would look back and say, I began living a more abundant life when I asked the Holy Spirit, Jesus, to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that this would all happen for your glory and for your honor. And we pray it in your son's name. Amen.